Today, this podcast is being recorded on Awabakal and Waramai land. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and extend our respect to any First Nations, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people joining us today. Welcome into the realm of sluts and blood magic, where we work together to heal period shame, heal our pussies and wombs, and find the way to a more pleasurable period and sex life. I'm your host, Jem Campbell, a nutritionist, dietitian, sexologist, period empowerment guide, and menstrual blood witch. If you love the podcast, remember to rate, review and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and so we can reach and empower as many sluts and womb holders as possible. Let's get into this week's episode. Hey there folks, welcome back to Blood Slut. I would love to start this episode off by giving a bit of a shout out to all my listeners. We've gone global, baby. Now, obviously, most of my listeners are in Australia, um, which is where I live and where I'm from. But I also have some listeners in India. I have some listeners in Canada, in the United States. Hello to all my listeners all over the world. Hi, and thanks for tuning in. Oh, no, wait, I do have some. Hold on, here are the other ones. Okay, I'm just looking at my theme, Bob. So we've got some in Belgium. We've got some in Singapore, Lebanon, the Netherlands, Switzerland. And yeah, that's it. Hell yeah. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Um, how exciting that I'm reaching listeners all over the world and I'm just so pumped that you're here. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you love it and you don't want to miss an episode and make sure you share it on your social media, share it with your friends, share it with your followers, share it with your communities and also leave a rate or a view if you have the capacity to. That would be really appreciated by me because it really helps the visibility of the podcast and it shows people what they're missing out on. Wink, wink. So today I'm going to talk about PME and PMDD and that is because April is premenstrual disorder or PMD awareness month. Now, some of you might know by now I live with PMDD and PME, so I'm very passionate talking about these topics and I'm going to go through with you today the symptoms to look for for PMDD and PME, the different medical conditions that PME can exacerbate because it is premenstrual exacerbation and PMDD is premenstrual dysphoric disorder, just for those of you who don't know. Then I'm going to run through how you can get diagnosed So today I'm going to be unpacking what are these disorders. Some of you might not be aware that they even exist and some of you might not know much about them. Some of you might even be thinking that you might have one, you're unsure. And some of you might even know that you have one, but you haven't yet sought out support. And some of you might even know someone who lives with a premenstrual disorder. Chances are you probably do. Even if you only experience PMS or even if you don't 
have anyone in your life who lives with a premenstrual disorder, I do really encourage you to listen to this series that I'm going to be doing for the entirety of April so that you can educate yourself and learn more about it so that you can support people around you if you end up having someone like a partner or a close friend come into your life who lives with one of these disorders because they are extremely debilitating and really scary to live with and a lot of people actually take their lives. These disorders are incredibly life-altering, debilitating and they remove a lot of one's quality of life. So I'm going to start today with speaking about PMDD and I am going to be just looking at some notes just so that I don't forget to mention anything. Um, so PMDD stands for premenstrual dysphoric disorder and you may have heard me mention it in some previous episodes and if you haven't listened to those previous episodes I would probably go back and have a listen because there is some really great information. Um, I did an episode with ACE and in the title it has premenstrual disorders. The name of that episode, so it's episode 17, Redefining Self-Discipline, Reparenting Premenstrual Disorders and Grief with ACE. So that's a really great episode to listen to if you do have a premenstrual disorder. So when people think of premenstrual disorder... I think a lot of people immediately are going to think hormones, right? They're going to think that this is caused by a hormone imbalance of some kind. And some people who do live with premenstrual disorders might have a hormonal imbalance, but hormone imbalances are not the cause of premenstrual disorders. I want to make that very clear. This is a mood disorder. Okay, so basically what happens with PMDD is when your body's finishing up your ovulation and you're transitioning into your luteal phase, so you're transitioning from your ovulatory phase to your luteal phase. Your luteal phase just so you know, is your premenstrual phase. So that's the phase right before you menstruate. So it's the last phase of your cycle. So you've just ovulated. And then what happens is, as we all know, your estrogen rises for ovulation. And then your estrogen actually kind of gradually decreases in your luteal phase and so after ovulation and your progesterone kind of starts to gradually have a little incline right so basically all you need to know is there is a shift in your hormones now like i said earlier this disorder is not caused by an imbalance of these hormones it is actually caused by your brain being sensitive to the change in hormone levels. So like I said, your estrogen is declining, your progesterone is inclining, and your brain is sensitive to those hormonal changes. 
Okay, so just take a moment to absorb that information. (laughs) The severity and the length of symptoms and length of the days of your cycle or even the phases of your cycle that PMDD affects varies between individuals and this can be probably for a number of reasons I honestly couldn't tell you off the top of my head why that is Um, it's probably just related to the fact that you know obviously hormone levels are going to be slightly different in everyone they're not going to be at the exact same concentration in every individual but it could also just be related to that person's individual brain and genetic makeup I'm just throwing that out there. I will double check that for you though and maybe mention that in a later episode on this stuff. But I'm not going to overcomplicate things. So basically for me, for example, I start to get PMDD symptoms around day 26 of my cycle. And as we know, the average cycle is about 28 days to about 35 days, right? My cycle is usually about 30 to 33 days. So about day 26, I will start to get quite bad (laughs) PMDD symptoms. And I will start to get them sometimes a little bit earlier than that, but it can actually differ for me from cycle to cycle. And this can also happen for other people as well. But some people might find a very consistent pattern and they might literally click over to day 26 if they've got a really regular cycle and they may just start getting the symptoms and they're like, fuck, it's happening. And then they know that they might get symptoms until day three of their bleed and then they're fine. For me, um, my bleed goes for seven days, unfortunately. And I say unfortunately, not because I dislike my period, but because that prolongs my PMDD symptoms. My symptoms start day 26. And remember, my cycle is about 32 days. It's been roughly. So that's six days in the luteal phase that I have PMDD symptoms plus the seven days of my bleed. So some people will only get PMDD until they start bleeding. So some people might start bleeding and they'll get massive relief and their PMDD symptoms will magically float away. But unfortunately for other people like me, the PMDD symptoms stay for the duration of the bleed itself. And can actually even hang around for a few days after you finish bleeding when you're transitioning into your follicular phase. Now, that could be due to me having a lot of other comorbid conditions. So complex PTSD, BPD, other conditions. If you're someone who only has PMDD and you don't have any other chronic conditions, which I would probably say is quite rare because there is a lot of, there are a lot of comorbidities. um, Then, then I would say, Maybe it's a bit less likely for them to get those symptoms, but maybe not necessarily. Everyone's different and it it can be a little bit of a mystery disorder because, I mean, women's bodies, I say women's bodies because back then that's what we referred to it as, 
you know, women were included in research studies until 1993. So that's only 30 years ago. And so that doesn't give us enough time to do really long studies and to actually see how these conditions play out over time. And there's just not as much research on premenstrual disorders as there are compared to, say, other mental illnesses or mood disorders, which is really unfortunate. But, you know, that's how it be in this patriarchal piece of shit society. All right. So PMDD um, affects an estimated of 5.5% of cycling individuals. That is quite high. And I can tell you um, this stat is from last year. I haven't looked at the – it's probably gone up since then. Um, And look, honestly, think of all the people who don't even know they have PMDD. Think of all of the menstruating people who have never heard of PMDD, who have gone their entire lives having PMDD and not knowing up until, you know, menopause. Um, I know one of my aunties has talked to me about the hell she describes as the terror (laughs) of, uh, her premenstrual phase and her period. And she definitely thinks that she had PMDD, but she is now in her fifties and there was absolutely no understanding or education or awareness or visibility of these disorders, which is why, April is such an important month for menstruating individuals and that's why I really encourage you to share these episodes and learn as much as you can about these disorders because it's really important to have awareness around them because if one of your friends starts mentioning oh you know my period's been really horrible like I haven't been able to function I've been experiencing a lot of strange symptoms that don't make sense they're very it's very unlike me to behave how I do during this time then you can say have you heard of PMDD here's a podcast episode here's some resources to look at you know we really need to get on top of this shit because people take their lives and that's fucked okay (sighs) so look researchers aren't really sure what triggers the onset of PMDD? It's still being researched. Um, so I'm not going to say too much about that. It's a huge bummer, isn't it? How ridiculous that we don't know that in 2023, honestly. It fucking infuriates me. Um, we do know that it can be exacerbated if the person is under a lot of stress, which I mean, makes a lot of sense, right? The more stresses you have in your life, the more other comorbid mental illnesses or other conditions, the more exacerbated your PMDD symptoms are going to be. Okay. So I'm just going to go on to the symptoms of premenstrual dysphoric disorder, PMDD. So something that's really common and it's honestly really horrible to see (laughs) um, is 
you can get suicidal ideation, like I have mentioned. And for some people, this has never been ex- like felt or experienced in their life before. And then they suddenly, you know, at certain times of the month, if there's someone who doesn't track their cycle, it might feel like they're just randomly getting suicidal and they might be like, what the fuck is wrong with me? But it's actually PMDD. So that's a really common symptom. Um, feelings of sadness or despair. So essentially depressive type symptoms. So a lot of people with PMDD may be misdiagnosed with major depressive disorder, but that might kind of confuse their team, their professionals and themselves and the people around them because certain parts of the month, they're actually fine and they function really well and they're quite content and happy. But there is a week or two out of their cycle where they're feeling pretty fucked and they might not understand why. Feelings of tension or anxiety. So again, misdiagnoses with maybe OCD, generalized anxiety disorder, social anxiety. For me, I can feel extremely socially anxious in PMDD time, in my luteal phase in particular, Um, I feel very fragile, very, I feel a lot less confident in myself um, and I can actually have quite low self-worth as well and that can feel really scary because you don't feel like yourself and that's why it's called premenstrual dysphoric disorder because you experience dysphoria. Dysphoria is a feeling that doesn't feel like you, it feels wrong, something feels off, Things just don't quite feel right. We've also got irritability or anger. And I'm also going to add here rage. You can get really intense episodes of rage that can literally last days. And you might just wake up in a foul mood and just want to hit something. And you might not be an aggressive person or a violent person, but all of a sudden you wake up and you have this immense, uncontrollable rage. And that can be really scary, again, if you don't know what's going on. And that's why awareness, spreading awareness of PMDD is so important because people are being misdiagnosed with other mental illnesses. And this is actually a premenstrual disorder, okay? You can also have feelings of feeling like things are out of your control or you can even feel out of control. So you feel like you can't control maybe manipulative tendencies or anger or your rage. Maybe you lash out at someone even physically or maybe you yell at someone or you verbally abuse someone when you normally would not do that. It's very out of character behavior for a lot of people. You might have a lack of interest in daily activities and even in your relationships. And this can show up in romantic relationships as well. So think about you're with your partner. You might live with them, for example, um, and potentially you just feel really distant from them during this time. You might feel really far away. You might even feel like you're not in love with them anymore or like they don't mean anything to you. And again, this can actually end relationships and cause a lot of issues in the relationship because you're actually ending a relationship that you don't want to leave and your partner may be really confused 
And so this can really affect um, intimate relationships and close friendships and close family relationships as well. So again, if you know someone or have someone in your life who lives with this disorder, please learn about it so that you know how to best understand and support your loved ones. So lack of interest in daily activities. So that might be your job. It might be your hobbies. So, for example, I go to dance every Tuesday night. And sometimes in that time, I just don't care. I'm like, I'm there and it doesn't give me the endorphin hit that I usually get. It doesn't make me feel as good as it usually does. It might just feel annoying. I might get a bit frustrated and irritable and be like, oh, I can't be bothered to, you know, go and go to this stupid thing. Like, even though I know that it brings me joy. And that can be really, really challenging for a lot of people. You might even start, you know, arguments with partners. You might provoke your partner. You might just be behaving in a way that is inappropriate or is upsetting for those people around you. And it people might think you're a bit of a cunt and you're like quite dissociated from yourself really you're not yourself you're not behaving like yourself and people get really confused by that another huge one is exhaustion tiredness fatigue and having really low energy which absolutely sucks on top of also feeling all these other symptoms that are really uncomfortable so a lot of people will sleep a lot um you might hit sort of you know the afternoon (laughs) You know, when your circadian rhythm kind of wants you to have a little nappy nap um, at about 3 to 5 p.m., but you might just completely crash and you might have to just go to bed really early. Um, And a lot of us might just think, oh, I'm about to start bleeding or I am bleeding, so that's why I'm so tired. And yes, it's normal to feel a little bit more tired, I would say, right before you start bleeding, And on the first couple of days of your bleed, of course, you're going to feel a little bit more exhausted. You're losing blood and your body is working hard to excrete that blood. And it's also a time where we do recommend a lot more rest as menstrual menstrual cycle educators. um, We do recommend that you do rest more during that time. So some of you might be thinking, oh, that's good because I need to rest, but If you're having the exhaustion and tiredness and it's quite extreme and you're getting a lot of these other symptoms, I would definitely be chatting to a health professional. (sighs) Another thing that can happen is brain fog and trouble kind of articulating yourself, trouble organizing thoughts, um, even trouble concentrating or focusing and trouble kind of problem solving and thinking at the capacity that you normally can. So that can be really distressing (laughs) and you might think that there's something wrong with you, um, which there kind of is um, not wrong with you, but there's something going on there that's not quite healthy or right. Okay. And then we have appetite changes. So for me, for example, I can get really hungry and crave really specific foods or I can go the other way so it's not always consistent and I can actually have a very small appetite 
and I'm really picky with what I eat. Like I have to eat a very specific meal and a lot of the time I will actually crave this is luteal phase by the way not my period I will crave like takeaway food or I won't be able to eat anything that I actually cook at home even if it's like really delicious because it just gives me this weird feeling it's really difficult to explain (laughs) and I definitely can binge eat as well during this time like at night like my partner and I you know, sometimes I'll actually vape a bit of weed um, to help my symptoms or I'll have like some uh, CBD oil or something like that and also put some THC oil on my body to like relax me and calm me down um, if I'm feeling irritable or anger and I will just like lay on the bed and eat like so much food because I'm getting dopamine hits from that and endorphins and it's it's giving me good feelings that I'm sometimes not feeling because sometimes you can feel so numb. You can feel like everything feels really boring. Like you get this extreme feeling of boredom sometimes because like I said earlier, lack of interest in daily activities and relationships. If you're having a lack of interest in pretty much every area of your life, of course you're going to feel bored. You're going to be like, what the fuck? I'm just going to like eat this whole bag of chips because it's stimulating and it's tasty and it's actually bringing me some kind of pleasure because pleasure can feel like it's really scarce during this time. And that can also be really dangerous if you already have a pre-existing eating disorder or some kind of um, yeah appetite issues. Maybe you're on a medication that is you know, decreasing your appetite or increasing your appetite. And if you have PMDD on top of that, that can actually exacerbate things further and make it really difficult to either meet your RDI or to actually be eating a healthy balanced diet if you're only craving really specific foods and if you have a really restrictive diet. Another thing um, that is really common on top of the anxiety that I mentioned earlier can be panic attacks. So you might be someone who has never had a panic attack in your life. You've never had any pre-existing anxiety disorders or anything. But then, boom, you're getting panic attacks and you're only getting them for one to two weeks out of the month. And that can be like a bit of a head fuck. You know, you're like, what is going on here? Why am I having these random panic attacks? And some people actually really struggle to even recognize a panic attack when they're having one if they don't know what it is. So to recognize you're having a panic attack, it literally, as someone who's had many in my life, it literally feels like you're dying. You might have a really tight chest. You might feel like someone's pressing down on your chest, on your body. You might feel really out of breath. So a lot of shortness of breath, like if you've ever had COVID or like a virus and you get that, you can't take a, like a full deep breath in and you feel like kind of tight. Um, And then you might be hyperventilating and not be able to like breathe properly. And like, it's really difficult to actually slow your breathing and calm yourself down. It basically a panic attack hijacks your entire, I think I'm assuming your amygdala or like, yeah, your brain. Um, And it basically puts you into an extreme, I would say kind of like a, like a, yeah, a trauma response state where your heartbeat, you know, races, your breathing 
rate is increasing because you're hyperventilating and you literally just feel like you're dying. I don't know how else to fucking explain it. It's a really difficult thing to explain. I've had them many a time when I've been in traffic, traffic jams, because that's related to my fear, my claustrophobia and fear of being trapped in spaces. And I used to sometimes get them or feel one coming when I would be in heavy traffic driving to work when I was younger or, you know, an ex-partner used to actually lock me in our apartment room uh, and I would have a panic attack because I needed to get out and I developed really severe claustrophobia from that. So that's kind of, yeah, if, you know, you feel like with a panic attack, you kind of feel like you just need fresh air. Like you feel like you need to like get out of wherever you are um, into like kind of a wide open like space with like fresh air. I don't know if that's just my personal experience, but <sighs> honestly, my chest feels tight just talking about it. <laughs> Um, mood swings, obviously really common. You might be feeling really happy and chirpy when you wake up. And then 10 minutes later, you're like, fuck my life. I don't care about anything. And I want to die. Um, frequent crying and menti bees, <laughs> really common. Um, you might find yourself just welling up over literally anything like, I don't know, you might be driving to work and you might be like a couple of minutes late and you're like freaking out and you just start like bawling your eyes out or you might just burst into tears for literally no reason and over like really, really tiny things that you normally wouldn't. Um, that's a really, really common and you just kind of feel like your face is like puffy and like ugly all the time. <laughs> it's not really funny, but yeah. Um, sleep issues, so insomnia, um, trouble staying asleep trouble getting to sleep, waking up really early in the morning, um, feeling anxious, you know, really, really common. Um, I actually started getting really bad insomnia with my PMDD last year. So I've had PMDD for almost two years now and potentially longer, but I've been aware that I've had it for about two years and I, um, had no sleep issues really. Um, up until sort of, I think it's maybe around November last year, October, November, and I was having to take Valium sometimes and I would drive over to my partner's house. So I would actually try and go to sleep because this is before we were living together. I would try and go to sleep and I would be, um, It'd be get to like maybe 12 or one or two in the morning and I'd be like, fuck, I have work tomorrow or I have something on tomorrow like or, you know, just I want a good sleep because if I don't have a solid, consistent night's sleep, I am very susceptible to getting migraines because I live with chronic migraine. So that's like this massive fear. So I would start getting really panicky and sometimes actually almost have a bit of an anxiety attack. And I would have to jump in my van at two in the morning and drive to my partner's house. Um, and I would take like a Valium or something because I would feel like safer when I was with them. Um, and I just accepted that. And sometimes during PMDD time, you just literally have to kind of give in to that and not feel like a weak, needy bitch. You just have to own that you need support and you need comfort and affection and 
You need to feel safe during that time. And that's okay if you need to drive to your partner's place at two in the morning or you have to call your partner 10 times a day or your friend or whatever, if that's what you need to feel safe and that's within everyone's boundaries and understanding, then that's absolutely fine. And there's nothing wrong with you for for needing that. You're not needy. Um, You just need support. (laughs) I fucking hate the word needy so much. Makes me cringe. So yeah, like, you know, um, Brody was always really chill. I'll just crawl into their bed and be like, you know, I can't sleep. And they're like, yeah, baby, come here, you know? And then I would, um, have a Valium. I didn't actually have a script for Valium back then. I just had a few that my sister gave me (laughs) because, um, she had a script and I needed, I just, I needed some to help me get through life and my doctor at the time was refusing to give it to me as was my psychiatrist even though I really only needed a couple you know during PMDD time and it was the only sleeping medication I could take because I react the opposite way to a lot of sleeping medications so I actually couldn't take like valerian or um even smoking like passion flower and lavender and stuff made me anxious I couldn't take like phenergan or any kind of sleep medications that actually keeps me up and does the opposite and makes me really anxious so I couldn't take it and melatonin doesn't work for me because melatonin only works if you actually have you know if your brain isn't producing enough melatonin so otherwise it has the opposite effect if you are having too much so um yeah Valium's the only thing that actually works for me I have Seroquel a Seroquel script as well um which is like kind of similar to Valium but it makes me feel really depressed the next day um and sometimes yeah actually quite suicidal the one time that I took it so I was like I'm not taking this again um now I have a script for Valium but I only um can take one a month so my doctor's given me 12 tablets for an entire year which if I'm honest isn't quite enough but I get that it's a really regulated drug and it can potentially be yeah addictive not that I'm addicted to it but it can be there's a risk for it especially with people with mental illnesses that I have so they are probably just being very cautious which I get but still I fucking need it so you know, something um, that I also find really good for relaxation. Actually, I'm going to go into that later. I'm going off on tangents already. Let's stick to the the fucking script. Um, so yeah, sleep issues. So yeah, if you're someone who doesn't usually get insomnia or you find your insomnia is a lot worse or your sleeping issues are a lot worse during your luteal um, phase and your period, see if you have any of these other symptoms, you might have PMDD. There's also some physical symptoms, as there are with anything, obviously, if you're experiencing a lot of um, mental health issues during this time, it is going to affect your gut. Um, So you can get bloating, you can get digestive issues, you might even get, um, you might even get a bit of nausea, you might, you know, um, you might get some diarrhea or some, you know, sickness. If you're getting like anxiety, you might even have vomiting from the anxiety if it, if it's quite severe. Um, you can get breast tenderness. That's quite common. Um, my tits can get really, really sore or it might even just be your nipples. Um, and that can obviously be a bit, you know, painful, especially I can imagine if you've got big boobs, that can be really heavy and like, 
especially if it's for one to two weeks out of every month. Like we don't want fucking sore titties for that long. That's fucked. And then it also, that can impact your sex life as well, you know? Um, something else that's really common and is going to fuck you up even more if you already have chronic pain or something else is joint and muscle pain. So you might find that your whole body just fucking aches. It feels like you've got a virus or something. Something else that's really common is he- uh, headaches and migraine. Um, yeah, you might find that you get migraines during this time, which, you know, even if you don't have PMD, like you can get menstrual migraine. So that's migraine that you get, you know, while you're bleeding or just before you bleed. Um, and that is due to the hormonal changes. So that's a little bit different to PMDD, but you can get yeah headaches and migraine with PMDD. More so headaches. It doesn't actually say migraine here, but I'm just throwing that in because let's be real, probably can. Um, so there are all the main symptoms. Another one that I would like to add um, is dissociation, which isn't actually on this um, fly that I'm looking at, but... Yeah, dissociation um, can be a PMDD symptom as well. So for those of you who don't know what dissociation is, um, dissociation is basically you're feeling a bit far away from reality. Um, You can just feel a little bit spacey, a little bit out of it, kind of far away. Um, You can experience depersonalization, which is a type of dissociation where you feel like you're out of your body. Um, So you might look at your hand and think, that's not my hand. Or you might look in the mirror and think, is that really me? I don't think I know who that is. So you're just a little bit like dissociated and far away from reality. Okay, so let's move on to, I guess, the the diagnosis process of PMDD. Um, Unfortunately, it's not something that you can diagnose um, very easily sometimes. So um, the most common way to get diagnosed with PMDD and really the only way is by tracking your cycle because by tracking your cycle, you can kind of make some links and see if the symptoms you're experiencing are occurring in your luteal phase and your menstrual phase. So something that I would recommend doing is uh, having a diary or like like a journal or something, a journal um, that you can put daily entries into, write the date at the top of the page and put what day of your cycle you are on. So how do you know that? (laughs) How do you know what day of your cycle you're on? Um, The easiest way to track what day of your cycle you're on is by using an app. Um, Personally, I like Flow and Clue apparently is quite good. I've never used that one personally. And I also use Read Your Body. Read Your Body is a little bit more comprehensive and detailed. And that's sort of more if you're using FAM, which is um, natural contraception essentially. So... Um, that sort of tracking your 
fertility signs uh, to know when you're ovulating. So I actually use that app to more track my ovulation, um, but you can also log when you're bleeding in there. So then you know what day of your cycle you're on. So when does your cycle start? Some of you might not know that and that's okay. And if you're someone who's listening to this and you don't bleed, you might not know that. So day one of your cycle starts on day one of your period. Day one of your bleed is day one of your cycle. Okay. And then the last day of your cycle is obviously the day before you start bleeding. Um, and for some of you, you know, your cycle might not be uh, regular. It might be quite irregular. So you might have to yeah, really stay on top of the tracking um, as, as best as you can. Um, but you might not necessarily be able to predict when your luteal phase is going to be or when um, your bleed is going to be. If your cycle is quite irregular, something that you could do is actually use an app like Read Your Body uh, to track ovulation and actually learn about FAM. So FAM is the fertility awareness method and I actually have an incredible guest coming on in a few weeks to chat about FAM. So uh, stay tuned and make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss that episode. It's going to be really, really great and informative. Um, If you don't know much about FAM, hold up until then. But before using Read Your Body you do kind of need to, and the app tells you this as well, you do kind of need to educate yourself a little bit about it. You can't just go on the app and know what you're doing because it is a little bit uh, complex. Um, It can be a lot to wrap your head around. So you do kind of need a FAM educator to actually guide you. Um, I'm hoping to actually study FAM um, eventually uh, so I can be a FAM uh, educator. Um, but I'll, I'll get around to that at some point and I'll let you all know once I've done that training. Um, so what was I saying? Yeah. So a way to know when you're entering your luteal phase is to know when you're ovulating. So even if your cycle is quite irregular, even if ovulation is happening, you know, kind of not in a consistent pattern or your period isn't happening in a consistent pattern or sometimes your cycle is 28 days and sometimes it's like 40 days or or something you know it's quite long if it is that long I would definitely chat to a uh, your doctor uh, in particular a doctor who is trained in uh, female reproductive health um, and get that investigated because you might have another underlying condition going on there if your cycle is that irregular and is that long Um, but by tracking your ovulation, you're going to know when you're kind of transitioning into your luteal phase, because once you know you've ovulated, once you've got a positive LH strip or a positive ovulation test, then you can say, okay, I've ovulated or I am ovulating. So I'm probably going to transition into my luteal phase in the next day or two, um, or the next sort of few days. And then you'll kind of get a feeling of like, okay, am I getting my PMDD? Am I I getting PMDD symptoms after I'm ovulating and into my bleed? Um, That will give you a bit more of an idea. Um, 
so yeah, using an app, using an app. So an app like Flow or like Read Your Body, it has a, a journal section or a notes section where you can actually type little things in. So you could put, um, so you can, they have like a list of all the little, you know, uh, things that you can click. So did you start bleeding today? You know, are you bleeding today? Did you ovulate today? Um, what height is your cervix? What was your mood like today? Whatever the, um, the factors are that they've, they've got there, if that's the right word, um, you can actually add your own into some of the apps or you can just write in the notes, uh, had a migraine today or had violent mood swings today, had insomnia last night, couldn't sleep, um, had a restless sleep, or you can just note, you know, check the, I'll put some resources in the show notes, but have the PMDD symptoms close by and easily accessible and have a look through them and think, did I have any of these symptoms today? Did I have any of these symptoms today? If I did, I'm going to note the severity of the symptoms, how long it lasted for, um, you know, how many days did that last for, and make sure you're putting that under the day of your cycle that you're on. So luteal phase typically starts around sort of day 20 to up until the end of your cycle. Um, But it can start a little bit earlier than that for some people. It depends when you ovulate. Some people might ovulate on day 20. Um, You don't really know when you're ovulating (laughs) unless you are using the FAM method and actually testing for ovulation. And there are several uh, markers that you use for that. You can't just really rely on one thing, uh, one of the fertility signs. Oh, so I was talking about diagnoses. So the reason that I mentioned tracking your cycle was not only to see if, you know, you potentially had PMDD, but that is also used by your psychiatrist uh, to diagnose PMDD. So I'm unsure if GPs can diagnose PMDD. If I'm honest, I don't actually know the answer to that. You can chat to your GP. Um, I was diagnosed by my psychiatrist because I just decided to go to him um, because I wanted to speak to someone who is um, who knows my mental illness history and, and whatnot. So um, he actually didn't diagnose me with PMDD. I haven't actually been formally diagnosed with PMDD yet. Um, I have been diagnosed with PME, which is premenstrual exacerbation, which I'm going to talk about shortly. So that is a different premenstrual disorder. So you need at least two to three, probably most likely three months of tracking records of your cycle to be diagnosed with a premenstrual disorder. So my psychiatrist wouldn't diagnose me with PME unless I emailed him through scanned copies from my journal, which can be a pretty personal thing. Um, So what I encourage you to do if you are planning on going and getting a diagnosis to actually rewrite, um, you can either like type up or rewrite the parts from your journal, if there's kind of things in there that are a little bit personal that you don't want to necessarily show your psychiatrist, or you can literally just scan your journal, um, or you can just 
a write-up, a summary from what you've got in the apps, um, but that might be a little bit more of a, uh, a big job. So I do recommend if you are intending to go to a health professional to get diagnosed, to actually write or type up um, your cycle tracking. Um, and things to include in that are, like I said earlier, any of the PMDD symptoms that I mentioned that you're experiencing and kind of the severity of those things. So I tend to rate things out of 10. So for example, in PMDD time, if I wake up one day and I'm feeling quite anxious, generally my anxiety levels are pretty good, I would say. But I do notice I hit, you know, around day 26 and my anxiety goes and so I will actually rate that out of 10 each day of my PMDD time. So if it's really bad and I'm really panicky, I might do like a 9 out of 10. Or if it's just a little bit there, you know, a 3 out of 10 or something. I think that's a really good way to just see because then uh, if you start to recover and you actually your symptoms actually start to um, get better, you can actually see that. And that can be like a really helpful way of, uh, I guess, monitoring your recovery process. Oh, so the last thing I want to say, I want to say a few last things actually about uh, PMDD. Because... Um, this is this is quite important. So... As of 2013, PMDD became an official diagnosis in the DSM-5. So if you don't know what the DSM is, it's the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Psychology. And number five is just the latest edition of that. That came out in 2000. I think it came out actually around 2013. Um so it's actually an official diagnosis as of, you know, about 10 years ago, which is fucking crazy that it was only 10 years ago. Um, and PMDD is actually classified in Australia, I'm assuming in Australia, but in Western countries at least, as a disability. Um, PME, unfortunately, is not, which is bullshit because PME can be extremely debilitating for some people. So I'm just thinking if there's anything else I want to say about PMDD before I move on to PME. If you have any questions, um, you can send me an email. My email address is gem at imawildgem.com and you can also send me a DM on Instagram at the blood slut. All of my contact details and information will be in the show notes and I am going to put resources in the show notes as well for you to access. I'm also going to put a resource, like a link that you can click on and you can actually do a self-test. Uh, so a, a self-screen essentially. So you know how when you think you have a disorder or mental illness or something, you can go on and do a little quiz online. It's basically like that. Uh, it's called a self-screen and yeah, it will um, tell you if you potentially have a premenstrual disorder. Okay, so now I'm going to move on to PME and then I'm kind of actually, you know what, first I'm actually going to talk about the difference between these two things. So like I said, uh, PME is premenstrual exacerbation. 
Now, uh, premenstrual exacerbation. So when we think of exacerbation, we it, it can literally exacerbate anything. So basically what that means is that any pre-existing disorders, it doesn't need to be just mental illness. It can be uh, other conditions as well, like diabetes and things like that. They are exacerbated in your luteal phase and much like PMDD also can be into your period as well. And like I said, PME isn't classified as a disability and it is not in the DSM as of yet. I'm hoping it will be in the new updated version. Okay, so let's talk about the difference between these conditions. Um, so so this is a statistic here and it says about half of those who seek treatment for PMS, so that's premenstrual syndrome, or PMDD actually have PME or another psychiatric disorder like depression. That's pretty crazy. Let's have a look. And what can actually be exacerbated by PME. Conditions that can be exacerbated. So this is just a few examples. Major depressive disorder. Persistent depressive disorder, which is called dysthymia. I've actually never really heard of that. Suicidality, schizophrenia, anxiety disorders. So that's things like OCD, generalized anxiety disorder, social anxiety, etc. Alcoholism, eating disorders, like I said earlier, diabetes. Um, Pretty much any pre-existing anything, anything that you have. Chronic pain, chronic migraine. Um, try to think of things that I have. ADHD, autism symptoms uh, can also be exacerbated. Uh, yeah, not very fucking pleasant, is it? <laughs> it's pretty cooked. <laughs> okay, so one of the main differences between PMDD and PME, which is really important to note, and I want to preface this, you can actually have both. You can have both PMDD and PME at the same time, which is what I'm pretty sure I have um, certain. (laughs) So with PME, okay, it's exacerbation of symptoms that you already get throughout your your entire cycle. So all the time, you have diabetes, right? Diabetes doesn't just come and go. So you have diabetes all the time. However, your diabetes gets exacerbated during your premenstrual phase and potentially into your bleed. Does that make sense? So PMDD is different because you don't get those symptoms at any other time in your cycle. You only get them in your premenstrual phase and potentially into your bleed. So that is the main difference that is really important to note. So it can be tricky to obviously sometimes to, to see which one it is, you know, um, or to potentially even diagnose both. So 
With PME, essentially the symptoms become more severe and more debilitating in the premenstrual phase. So for me, uh, my boredom is exacerbated from my ADHD. Um, my migraine is exacerbated terribly, um, to the point where I sometimes have a migraine for one to two weeks straight and my function is very minimal. Chronic pain, extremely exacerbated, plus the extra pain from the PMDD. Um, complex PTSD symptoms can be exacerbated. BPD symptoms can be exacerbated. So I can feel, like I said earlier, I can feel which is also from the PMDD, but I can feel low self-worth. I can feel um, like but exacerbated low self-worth. I can get more emotional flashbacks or my emotional flashbacks can be worse um, from the PME. So again, same thing with PME. You need to track your cycle to be diagnosed with it and you need to be on top of that tracking and know what day of your cycle you're on and when your symptoms kick in because that way you can plan your life a little bit more and you can plan ahead and you can say you know I actually won't be able to come to that social event or I'm not going to buy a ticket to that gig or that concert because I know that um, roughly around that time I will be in my premenstrual phase and I'm probably going to feel like shit. Um, so I've just got some little random facts here, actually, that I'm just going to quickly read out that I've just found in my notes. So, um, so PME depression studies, so that's, um, depression, PME, so depression that's exacerbated in the premenstrual phase. PME depression studies have shown that PME does not respond to PMDD treatment. So common treatments for PMDD are things like I said earlier, like Valium or Seroquel, you know, anti-anxiety drugs, um, and then also antidepressants. So uh, SSRIs like escitalopram are quite commonly used to treat PMDD. And there's a lot of research to support that as well. Um, and, you know, there's obviously herbal, um, her, different herbs and herbal treatments and CBD oil and all the things, THC oil and all that as well. Um, but I'm going to assume they're talking about antidepressants in that specific study. Um, and then I've got here one in four men, people who menstruate with ADHD have PMDD. That is crazy. So essentially, PMDD is really, really common for people who have ADHD. So that's definitely going to be a huge area of research. And I'm sure it probably already is. And I would love to read some more studies on that. I'd love to do an episode purely on that, actually, because, I mean, that just makes sense, doesn't it? Our brains are so sensitive if you're neurodivergent, you have a sensitive little nog um, and you're just predisposed to so many other things. Um, um, and I'd just like to say as well, with PME, it's the same as PMDD. It's just the reason that the conditions and symptoms get exacerbated is just because of that 
uh, brain sensitivity to the hormonal change. So yeah, um, I would also like to say before I finish up this episode, because that's all I'm going to do for today to not overwhelm your little noggins. Um, how the fuck have I been talking for an hour? How, how do I do that? (laughs) So basically, um, yeah, I can help. Uh, I am, as you all know, I'm a sexologist. I'm a menstrual cycle guide. Um, I have obviously, as you've heard, a lot of experience with living with these conditions. I've done a lot of my own research. Um, I have a lot of incredible ways of managing these conditions that I have had to figure out over the past couple of years. Um, and my partner as well plays a big part in that. I'm going to do an episode on that, um, how to manage and treat these conditions Um, which is obviously going to look very differently for everyone because symptoms can vary a lot. But I'm going to be speaking just to the symptoms that I have, which are probably the most common ones, especially when related to PMDD. Um, So I'm hopefully also going to get my partner on to chat about PMDD and relationships as well. I'm going to chat to them about that when they get home today. And yeah, that's really like all I want to say you know if 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 you are looking for a supportive person to help you on your PMDD journey I am here for you um you can book a sex coaching session with me or even a sex and nutrition uh hybrid coaching session and we can actually look at your diet and ways to improve your diet as well to help with your symptoms and with your management of uh your premenstrual disorder because diet can play a huge role in that and supplements and herbs and all those things. Um, and what I've found in my personal experience is that GPs and even psychiatrists, basically any type of doctor, even some alternative health professionals don't really know what the fuck they're doing and don't really know how to treat these conditions. It can be really invalidating. Uh, It can be really damaging. And I think it's really important to seek support from someone who has lived with one of these disorders themselves and who can actually provide you with tangible ways of managing it. So thanks so much for tuning in today. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the rest of the premenstrual disorder awareness month of april and i'll be back here with you next week with another episode talking all about the treatment and ways to manage these disorders see you next time bye